hey, everybody, I guess we'll just uh, start talking here and wait for the broadcast to officially go live. Got Chris Wright, the VP of sales at Baseline, and myself, we had planned to record a podcast today, which will be episode number 23. And then we figured, let's just do this on Facebook and see if we can get this tech to connect. And then I'll take the recording and turn it into a podcast episode. And Chris, what do you, uh, what do you got in your glass, man? Well, you know, it's uh, Friday afternoon. It is uh, end of week, end of quarter almost. And you put uh, an image up there of me in my hop scarf. So I'm enjoying a hop scarf IPA brewed by myself with hops that were uh, acquired at the time that that picture was taken. So cheers. Cheers. Let me see if... uh... Let me see if I can magically increase this picture here in real time. Boom. Look at that. Right. There he is. There's Chris in the hop scarf. In all my nice. glory. Yep. <laughs> what a fun afternoon that was. Sweet. You know what? Uh, looks like I got to press a start button here. So we'll start this over. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. You're killing me, Smalls. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. It came up. I just had to hit start. Uh it's hard to tell, man. It's like we should have done this into some kind of a beta group, but well, you know what? Uh, start. Sweet. Okay. We're, we're on. And if anybody is scrolling through their feed and they see us jump in, give us a thumbs up. Happy Friday. Chris and I just both poured a cold one. What are you drinking, Chris? I'm drinking Hop Scarf IPA, brewed hyper local in my house with hops that were acquired when that picture was taken. Awesome. I'm going to blow this up. There's Chris with the hop scarf from Hopland USA, right? Yep. Outside of Boise, Idaho. So there, look, you can be me. <laughs> I can be you. Nice. <laughs> Technology. <so cool. laughs> All right. So we'll put, we'll put you back over here. <laughs> All right. Put me back in the corner. All right. All right so, Chris and I were going to, and we are, we were going to record a podcast episode today all about artificial intelligence watering. And what we mean by that is using soil moisture sensors to automatically water your, your landscape. And we just decided to jump onto Zoom, see if we could connect it to Facebook. And then we'll, I'll take the audio portion of this and roll it up into a podcast episode. So we figured we would have a beer do a Facebook live. And then if this works right, Chris will even show his screen and show some of the graphs when we get going a little further on. So Chris, let me introduce you. You are the VP of sales for baseline control systems. And I think you and I have known each other since around 2009 or eight. Yeah, that makes sense. Before that time, why don't you just tell us how you got into this business? Uh, let's see, I'm going on. I got into the irrigation industry in 1997. 
when I went to work for Rainbird, like many others in this industry, I was a contractor specialist in Utah, which is where I live. Um, spent a few years with them and then uh, transitioned over, um, worked for another manufacturer for a little bit that will remain nameless. And then uh, from there, I uh, got involved with the development and bringing to market of the MP Rotator with Walla Walla Sprinkler Company and uh, was involved with them for uh, a number of years doing some contract work. And at the same time, I was uh, running a owned nursery business here in Utah. And then the MP Rotator just grew to the point where made more sense to uh, align with that. So I transitioned over to full-time with them. And then when they sold to Hunter Industries, I went to work for Ewing Irrigation Distribution as the water conservation advisor for the Western United States. And then uh, in my tenure with them, I was very involved with the baseline product line as part of their water management group and eventually came to work for Baseline full-time in, let's see, I'm going on nine years, so whenever that was, to date. So been in the industry, focused on smart irrigation technologies, if you will, for long time. Let's, let's scrap the smart disruptive technology because I think MP Rotator was disruptive. Certainly some of the tech we're working on at Baseline is very disruptive. Exactly. And I know your personality also is disruptive. I'm, I'm all about mosh pitting the establishment, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it fun. Can't wait to do away with uh, start times and run times in a little while and just mosh pit that part of yeah, irrigation. Absolutely. Too. So been having fun with that lately and uh, looking forward to uh, talking about it more today. So thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that, you know, I'm not on until episode what? 22. 22, but <laughs> I won't take it personally. Hey, I had to make sure that I knew how to do this before I brought on, you know, a quality guest like yourself. I, I wanted to make that. sure it was going to be legit. Good spin. And don't forget, this is the first Facebook ever. So, you know, that's got to mean something. That does. Absolutely. So <laughs> love it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Sweet. So, you know what? I'm just thinking if there's somebody listening to this in a week, a month, a year, in theory, you could come back into the Sprinkler Nerd private group and this video will be there. So I guess if you want to watch the replay of this, come into the Sprinkler Nerd group and you can watch what we're going to cover today because we're going to be actually looking at some visuals on screen. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's talk about moisture sensors. Can you give us a little bit of a background on the moisture sensors that Baseline patented and have been bringing to market since the beginning? Absolutely. Would love to. So the soil moisture sensor technology that Baseline utilizes is actually the reason why the company exists in the first place. So the first technology that was engineered that's used today was the soil moisture sensor. And then once that was developed, they had to figure out a way to read it and utilize it in a control system. And then the whole control platform evolved from that original technology. But the technology itself was uh, uh, developed by a couple of ex-HP engineers. 
um, that were working under contract with Idaho Power and Light to develop a technology to help find breaks and buried power lines. And during the development of that technology and through by sending electric pulses through soil, they discovered that the wetter the soil, the slower the pulse would travel, and the drier the soil, the faster it would travel. And they realized that they were measuring moisture content in a soil profile. So they had an entrepreneurial moment and uh, figured that they could develop a product around that technology um, known as time domain transmission. And they licensed it from HP and developed a moisture sensor that they had originally intended for industrial and agricultural use. And somehow we uh, wound up focused on and deeply involved in the landscape industry. Do you think uh, when Scott and Tim, I'll just mention them by name, when Scott and Tim, you had that aha moment, they probably thought they were going to get mega rich. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't every I know. Like, exactly. Yeah, right. I think they thought that every home in America, you know, was their sprinklers were coming on on Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 6 a.m. And they thought, holy shit. Yeah. Like this is so innovative. We can automate the watering with the soil moisture sensor and entrepreneurs never know why it's not going to happen. They only think about why it will happen. Yeah. And little did they know the barriers it was going to there was going to be to bringing technology into this industry. Yeah. And it's the barriers aren't the tech, right? No, not at all. Technology is there. It's accessible. It works. The barriers are getting acceptance and forward thinking enough people to utilize it the way it's intended to be utilized. Yeah. People, right? Yep. Other manufacturers, competition, distribution, contractors, and with soil moisture sensors, I can remember when I first started selling them for baseline, you know, back in 2006 and seven, it wasn't really until like 2012 that we started to get decent traction because the old soil moisture sensors had failed so miserably previously that it just left people with a bad taste. They just thought that soil moisture sensors were never going to work because the first ones were so unreliable that it sort of gave a bad impression for the, what we have today. Yeah. It's interesting when I was working for Walla Walla and uh, working under Mike Barron and Bob Rupar, uh, Bob being um, one of the owners or at Walla Walla. Anyway, he made a very interesting comment to me at a uh, flying event that we did there once. And someone asked the question, well, why, if this technology is so innovative, why haven't we seen it before? And his response was, because the technology that we use to create this problem or this product did not exist five years ago. And that's always stuck with me in that, you know, technology evolves and what we see today wasn't possible previously because the technology wasn't available to develop it that way or cost effective to develop, develop it. So um, it's always evolving and, and uh, we need to be aware of that and try to implement as much of current technology that we can into products to uh, integrate them into the business and the landscape and the industry at a price point that makes sense to do so. Yeah. And as Steve Jobs famously said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. 
Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so here's to, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to connect some dots going forward. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Which means it's vision, right? Going forward, you never know if it's going to happen. You can only connect them looking back to make them factual, right? So anything we say going forward is just a theory, a hypothesis, a vision. You know that that's about it. So that's the spirit of entrepreneurship, right? Yep, and innovation and disruptive technology, and somebody has to be a believer and bring stuff to market and try and experiment and learn, iterate and do it again. Yep. And luckily in our space and with the soil moisture sensor technology, we're, you know, we've had enough early adopters. We've had enough uh, history in the application to validate that it works. It's allowed us to grow as business and continue to innovate and to uh, pursue what, uh, it is we're trying to accomplish as a company in a technology and irrigation. And for those that are listening, I'll add one piece. So Chris mentioned that baseline was founded on this soil moisture sensing technology. Today, the soil moisture sensor is just one piece of the total technology toolbox a puzzle, if you will. It's a capability, it's a solution, but the underlying technology that drives baseline, which is the the data and the communication on the two-wire path was discovered in the first soil moisture sensors when they realized that the location for the sensor way out in the backyard was not next to the controller in the garage and they needed to communicate from that sensor to the garage. And so being the, the tech guys that they were at that time, they realized they could send data from the moisture sensor to the controller over that existing wire path. Yeah, in real time, not as a data logger, but in real time and be able to interface with that data as they were receiving it, react to it, and perform functions in the irrigation system. Mm -hmm. And that also was something that was very novel um, at the time and continues to be so, utilizing that real-time data to make better irrigation decisions and to manage the irrigation system and enhance its performance. It's really overlooked. I think when people think of two wire, they simply think of firing a solenoid with an address and the way baseline operates stemming from that moisture sensor was it was a communication path. We want to read that sensor out on the landscape and make a decision with it at the controller. And, and again, we're talking about a $150 little residential add on sensor to a controller but that fundamental communication protocol grew into what baseline has today, which is controllers that can control hundreds and thousands of zones, both wired and wirelessly using that communication protocol. All TCP IP address protocol. Yep. Ethernet. Exactly. So it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's been fun ride so far and, continues to uh, bring challenges and opportunities and looking forward to uh, educating the industry on being able to water with the artificial intelligence and to think outside of the start time mentality. I like that. Think outside the start time. Yes, absolutely. That's a good one. Well, let me grab my sensor <clears throat> and maybe before we talk about uh, what you're what we're doing with sensors to create that artificial intelligence watering. Let's talk about how this bad boy works, this 
this sensor and you know how we go about measuring the moisture and maybe what the numbers mean because I feel like this is part of the education and I think if you ask ask people they'll start first by wanting to think of their landscape as a zero to 100%. Zero is dry, 100% is full. And that is one way to look at it and it has some truths, but let's, can you talk about how this sensor blade works, how it measures? Should I feel bad because your sensor is bigger than mine? <laughs> nice. I don't know. Yours might uh, have more science to it. Yeah. It's the same science, just different format for different applications. But with the sensor itself, one thing that's uh, innovative about it and that is evolution of the technology for sensors is that there's no metal that's in contact with the soil. So in this fiberglass blade, there is a wire trace that uh, will carry a pulse of electricity sent from the decoder device and the pulse travels that wire path and essentially we time how long it takes to travel the wire path. Like the original discovery, when the soil is wet, that pulse travels slower. When the soil is dry, it travels faster. But we take that timing, put it into an algorithm, and we're able to measure accurately, repeatedly, and reliably within uh, plus or minus 1% of volumetric soil content of that, or volumetric moisture content of that soil profile, excuse me. What that means is that if I take one cubic foot of soil and I wet it to field capacity, which means it's holding as much water as it can for that soil type between the soil particles of that soil type, without any gravitational drainage, okay, and that's field capacity, and I measure or weigh that cubic foot of soil and record the weight. I then take that same volume of soil, put it in an oven, bake it until it's oven dry, and all of that moisture is removed, and weigh that soil again, then the difference between the two weights as a percentage is volumetric moisture content. And that is the number that is displayed in the control system when interfacing with the uh, baseline irrigation controller. Got it. So, so what is the scale? If you take the sensor that you have and you submerge it in a bucket of water and you take a reading on it, fully submersed, it will read around 34%. So, um, and that would be 34% volumetric soil moisture. Yes. So essentially if it's submerged in water, that would be its highest reading possible. Okay. Uh, but we know that in the soil and with compaction, if I, you know, press this blade between my palms and get more surface contact to that blade, it could increase the reading. So in the range, in the algorithm, it's 40% to 0% is basically that range that we measure. Got it. So if I have a sensor in my landscape and it's reading around 32 to 35%, that pretty close to standing water. Yeah. So again, thinking about that, um, 
zero to 100 scale. It really is not about a zero to 100. And for, for a lot of this, I like to remind people that it's about the consistency of the readings. So it, the sensor needs to be very consistent and consistent is almost more important than accurate because you need the same amount of moisture to be measured today as that exact same amount of moisture in a week so that it, you can be looking at the differences in moisture from. Exactly. And then those readings will uh, uh, help facilitate the artificial intelligence watering that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So that's a little bit about how the sensor works, the numbers that we read. So let's now talk about how we can use that to think outside the start time. Hmm. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what does that mean to you, Andy? Well, so let's see. Let's think about how irrigation systems work when we're not using a moisture sensor, right? It has, it has to have something to trigger it, to tell it to come on. It needs a start condition. Yes, a start condition. Perfect. And the start condition on 99% of irrigation systems is, the, is a time. Tuesday at 9 p.m., Right. A time and a day of the week. Kind of a shitty reason to start to irrigate <laughs> Tuesday at 9 p.m. Uh, it could be appropriate, but it likely is not a time when the landscape actually needs irrigation to happen. Right. We do not run our heating and cooling on a time schedule. We don't have to suffer in cold weather until 9 p.m. when we're allowed to turn the heat on. True. Yes. Right. It comes on when, when it needs to, to maintain the temperature in the room. Right. Yep. And a soil moisture sensor, we often make the correlation between a thermostat and how a thermostat in a room is going to take into account, you know, many factors that are just beyond the actual air temperature. It'll take into account the things that are affecting the air temperature. Like, you know, how much light is on and producing heat or how many windows are in the room or how many times a door opens or closes that will exchange air and change that temperature, right? All those factors are, are variable and can have a drastic impact on the actual temperature in that room as a percentage over time. And so having an instrument that's sensitive enough to account for all those factors and to adjust accordingly to provide that level of comfort or to provide that level of irrigation required in order to keep the plants comfortable. Yeah, it's not like we have to tell the thermostat, I plan to open the door 10 times today. So let's account for that. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to, exactly. I'm going to turn the oven on at dinner. That's going to make it a little warmer. So let's account for that. Right. Which is very much part of the algorithm and or formula for weather-based watering. Not yeah. that weather-based watering is an improper way to irrigate can be very effective, but with a soil moisture sensor actually in that landscape environment buried in the root zone of that plant material, we are in real time measuring and accounting for, you know, evaporation from the soil profile and transpiration happening through the plant material. And then we can effectively 
reapply or replenish that moisture loss through those two uh, principles when the plant actually needs it based on thresholds or an allowed depletion that we can set to regulate that. Perfect. Let's say, uh, give a shout out here to uh, Luis Torres. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you stopping by today. Awesome. Welcome. We got a, we got a viewer. Awesome. So let's bring it back home. We had a, we had a start condition. We decided that traditionally a start condition is a time-based start condition. So if we're going to use a moisture sensor for a start condition, what are we going to do? Set a percent moisture that'll trigger the irrigation start? We can. That's one way of doing it, right? So with the sensor technology, we have allowed depletions, right? And those allowed depletions are based on the opinion of the property manager, the landscape manager, right? And that opinion may vary based on what the desired outcome or aesthetic would be for that landscape or that area that they're managing. So for example, if you are managing the front entryway to a high profile corporate office or a country club, where you want the landscape to look fantastic consistently and always, your allowed depletion threshold may differ there than it would based on the perimeter of the property that is not high visibility or highly trafficked. And maybe you got prairie grasses over there that you can deplete a lot. Right. And they have a different water requirement that plant material would have a different water requirement than perhaps the plants that may be up in more visible areas, right? So having the ability to hydrozone a site based on the plant material and the desired aesthetics can really help to achieve conservation objectives that you may be pursuing or may be mandated, you know, manage your plant health and vitality better. Absolutely. Okay. So we can have a, you'd, you'd use the moisture sensor for a start condition. The mm -hmm. user would decide what type of depletion from that field capacity they're looking to achieve either very little if they want it to water frequently in that high profile front entrance, like you talked about yep. a bigger depletion if they wanted it to water less frequently and allow more dry down. So that's the start condition. And then typically there would be a run time. Right. So if we're thinking right. outside the runtime, we have the start condition, but then we have a, a, a time minutes. How does the sensor water to replace the minutes? Correct. So and there's going to be a difference between thinking outside the start time and thinking outside the runtime. True. And at this moment, I look at thinking outside the start time as the Buffalo theory and thinking outside the runtime would be the Buffalo string theory which is totally, Ooh, right. totally different podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's keep it on Buffalo theory, thinking outside the start time before we get everybody all confused and you start talking at college level 400 stuff here. Right. So with the thinking outside the start time, it is we really want to provide water to the plant and fulfill that plant water requirement when they need it, right? And the goal is to 
limit as much as possible stress on that plant material, which will then affect the aesthetic value of it. Correct. So mm -hmm. nine o'clock on Tuesday evening, that landscape may need water or not. And with the uh, moisture sensor, we'll be able to determine if that is really a necessary or required watering event, mm -hmm. or if we can postpone it until the time that the plant actually needs it. Does that make sense? So it, it reaches dry and then you can decide. So what if, what if, what if like currently right now in Salt Lake city, it's, you know, North and 90 degrees. It's very dry. We haven't had, uh, you know, natural precipitation in a long time. So the soil mediums are greatly depleted of moisture content. So we do irrigation cycles. What if the plant material actually reaches its loud depletion at 2 p.m. right before the real heat of the day? And then it goes into the heat of the day and it stresses further and more until that nine o'clock start time and then it will irrigate but the damage is already done so the principle of thinking outside the start time is to allow the system to operate when the plant material needs it which would be essentially on demand based on the plant water requirement but then i also understand that there are water windows that need to be taken into consideration also periods when you can't water Mm -hmm. um, because of traffic and or mandates or whatever that may be. With that in mind, though, we can address that uh, because of the way that we're able to also pause irrigation for those periods when we can't irrigate. And really, an open water window becomes your start and stop conditions associated with your irrigation systems. Got it. So let's, let's try to get this into like a real world example. So I know that you set your system up at your house to be fully automatic, i.e. what we're calling AI as if it's artificial intelligence because you are not using a start time and you are not using a day of the week at all. Correct. So how, how is your system set up? So with my, I've got a couple of different programs. So, and let's also keep in mind that uh, I just recently installed my back turf. So I used this uh, same strategy in establishing my turf. Essentially my allowed depletion for my new turf obviously was much smaller than it would be normally once it's established right? Because mm -hmm. you need to water, apply water more frequently in order to, you know, water that thin root layer that exists on brand new sod. And then as the sod gets established, then you can start to lower that threshold down lower. So it will extend the duration between required irrigation cycles to maintain proper turf aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So the way I have it set up, is that it's a full open water window. I don't have any restrictions on it, which I can do because it's residential. But in my front yard, I do have restrictions in a water window in place. So it's interesting to see the difference in the behavior 
of the system based on a full open water window and then a, a restricted water window in two different sectors of my property, same controller, right? Yep. So essentially, um, you know, threshold is set up currently at, uh, I think my backyard set up at 27 and a half percent. Anytime it dries down to 27.4%, then it will allow the irrigation to come on and it will apply 30 minutes of irrigation. Okay. So, so what was that number? What was your turn on number? 27.5. Is the start or field capacity? That's my start. So anytime it dries down and that sensor is reading 27.5, then the irrigation will come on and it'll apply 30 minutes worth of irrigation. Okay. And I had a thought while saying that that's left me, but it'll, it'll come back. We'll get back to it. So, and approximately how, how much water in terms of inches is that 30 minutes? You know, what type of sprinklers do you have out there? So there are MP rotators, of course. So 0.45 inches per hour. So 30 minutes is applying, you know, about a quarter of an inch. Mm -hmm. And then I've also got my controller, you know, connected to a weather station that's in the area where I'm getting a daily ET pole from that weather station and I'm really irrigating below ET and the plant material is phenomenal. So ET is calling for, let's just say 0.3 inches or, or so, and you're watering at 0.2 below ET is what you mean. 0.2. And if you look at the behavior and the graphs, I'm watering essentially every other day or every 18 hours and applying 30 minutes worth of irrigation. And again, it's not because you say it needs it. It's because to maintain that moisture at that level, it's doing it automatically. Correct. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yep. Your hands off. So talk to us again about the water window. So it's watering in a completely automated basis based on the data coming out of the soil. And if somebody didn't want it to water, let's say this was a commercial property and it was parking lots and they didn't want it to be watering in the morning, they would just mm -hmm. simply, what would they do to prevent that from happening? Well, they would uh, implement water windows and say, I can't water between you know 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., for example, right? So even if uh, you know start time were to come up, just in conventional watering, it wouldn't allow that to happen until the window opened at 8 p.m. So with the soil moisture sensor, it works the same, and I'm employing that strategy in the front yard because of local restrictions on when you can water, and it's visible, and it's not new turf establishment, so I'm adhering to it. So I've got a water window set up where it's not allowed to irrigate between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. And the thing that's interesting in the front is that a couple days ago at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., I reached my lower threshold and it started to irrigate. And then my window closed before my irrigation cycle was complete. And so it paused it. And then when it opened at 7 p.m., it finished that cycle. 
And then when it was done with its cycle, it still was below my threshold. So it started another one and watered again. Got it. So when it was done, that original cycle that resumed, it took another moisture reading probably within three minutes of being done, collected that data and it triggered another start because you were still below the threshold. So it was going to water it again. Yep. And the thing that was awesome about it was before my window closed, right? I was right at that threshold, obviously, where my plants needed water, but because of the restriction, it wasn't able to apply the full amount of water, but it applied enough to sustain the plant material through the day, during the heat of the day. And then when it opened it up again, right when they needed it, then it applied the remaining amount. And then because it was really hot that day, since the moisture level wasn't above my lower threshold after that irrigation cycle because of that wetting and then the dry down and the application wasn't quite enough, it started another cycle and refilled my soil profile to a filled capacity scenario. Which thinking of your soil like a water storage tank, for me, that's the best way to visualize sort of what we're talking about is you're trying to fill up that tank and it was still below the tank level when it was done. And so it started again to fill, keep filling that, that soil tank up. Exactly. Yep. Filled it a little bit and then it depleted through the day, drew it down, then it filled some of it back up. It still wasn't at the desired level, so it filled some more. And it's sort of obviously easier to do this if you have one zone on a system because you have one zone, one sensor. You can keep an eye on it very easy. If you're at a ball field complex, let's say, that's when these water windows can really come in and be helpful. So instead of thinking about when should we start this when is it going to finish calculating your program times? You can automate it and then let the water windows prevent watering when you don't want. And it does the rest for you. Yeah. And there's so many variables that come into play, you know, on a larger application like ball field or a corporate campus, right. That are so out of your control because your main limiting factors are going to be what's your design flow, what's my water capacity, how much water can I flow at a time, and then what's my water window. But then you could also compound that by saying, what's my plant water requirement, right? right? Those are all limiting factors that you are a victim of the hydraulics of your system and that time-imposed water window that you can, you know, drive yourself crazy trying to do the spreadsheet to figure out what needs to run for how long in order to get everything watered and you're likely watering to deficiency anyway, yeah. right? So if you know what your application needs to be and you're able to uh, program your runtime so that it will apply that amount of water and then just allow the system to irrigate when your water window is open and let the, the controller and the technology manage what can run, how much can run, how long it can run, and those things so that you're just applying water whenever your window is open without getting constrained. It's just doing what it can do to keep, keep watering when it's allowed to so that exactly. it doesn't have to wait for a start time so that you don't lose potentially four hours of watering. 
Yep. And applying the water when the plant wants it, needs it. So if you start a program based on water window and, or based on the, the moisture sensor is the start condition and it waters a portion of that program before your window closes, as soon as it opens, it's going to re resume where it left off and water for the rest of the program. And then if, when that program ends and the sensor says, I need to be watered again, it's just, just going to start over again. And that's exactly what happened on my example in my front yard just yeah. a couple of days. All right. So let's talk about, I hear this a lot. You got a 50 zone irrigation system. Do I need 50 sensors? Don't you have to have a sensor in every zone? It is very common question. Let's talk about that. It is common. And as VP of sales for baseline, I would say, yes, you need a sensor for every zone. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, <laughs> the way that, uh, you know, the technology works and the way it's engineered is you can determine the number of sensors that you need based on the hydro zones that exist on your property. And oftentimes when you talk about hydro zones, you know, it's deer in the headlights so you could simplify that even more by saying how many programs would you normally need on your controller based on the number of programs that are automatically hydrozones the property based on spray heads or rotors or turf or shrubs or whatever that may be so my recommendation when working with clients is how many programs do you intend to have on the controller and if they say four then it's like great Let's start with four sensors. And then the beauty is you can tailor the application and the site more as you learn more about how your landscape is responding to the irrigation cycles and add more in the future if you need to. Great. I would agree. And you can use one sensor, right? So I, I tend to remind people that, you know what, how many weather stations do you need for your site? Yeah. One in every one. zone. What if it's in the shade? Don't you need a shade yeah. sensor for the shade zone and a sun sensor for the sun zone, right? There, it's just one weather station and you're just simply offsetting the exposures by entering the zone type information into that weather data, slope, plant type, exposure, et cetera, yeah. because you don't have a sensor in every zone. So why would it be any different for moisture? Correct. And if you're intending just to use one sensor on a particular site, it's like, okay, what plant material or what exposure requires water the most frequently? And then that is where, that's where you put your sensor in that zone. And then you link all the other zones to that zone to behave the same. Perfect. Right. And then if you determine that you want to separate this area and put it on its own hydrozone, you can add another sensor, break it off into its own program and have other zones tied to it or linked to it so that they behave the same as that new area that you segregated off. Yeah. So let's, I'm just going to re recap a couple things just so we can try to keep people who are listening tied to the conversation because we've gotten a little technical. We talked about watering outside the start time. So what that means from what you've just said is 
not using a start time, using the moisture content, the dry, lower threshold of depletion as your start time, that means the irrigation system is going to turn on and in baseline terms within a minute, basically, of that moisture reaching that predetermined threshold. Once it is on, it will look for windows where it can't water. So if it starts and it comes on and then your water window closes, it just simply pauses. Once the water window elapses, it resumes. And in your case, you saw your water window resume or your sprinkler resume when it finished, it was still below the threshold. So it ran again, just in full automated automatic mode. And I think we could, we should save the the stop condition for another one. You know, the, the Buffalo string theory of, of uh, yeah. not having a runtime either thinking outside the runtime, because that gets very much into the science of application rates, precipitation rates, cycles, soak gets really technical. In this case, it's simply waiting for the soil to dry out. As soon as it does triggers that run. Can you try to show your screen? We can look at one of your graphs. I don't know how this is going to come through on the podcast version, so we'll try to describe, I guess, what we're looking at. Perfect. And I'm just logging in. So you can bear with me for a second. Okay. I should be sharing. Do you see Base Manager up? Okay. So this is, you know, this is my controller. And you can see that I've got, uh, a, what, 10 zones on it, four, four different programs. And then I've got three moisture sensors installed in the landscape. And the ones that I've been referencing right now have been uh, this sensor, which is front yard, and then backyard is this sensor highlighted now. Currently, I've got 28.8% uh, moisture content in the backyard, in the turf, and I've got 20.5% moisture content in the shrub beds um, out front, which is what my whole front yard is. The other thing that's cool is I get to see the temperature of the sensor in the landscape. So turf is in the sun, so it's warmer than the sensor that is in the shrub bed that is partially shaded. Yeah, get a lot of feedback from sports turf managers and just turf managers in general, that the temperature is a key for them. They almost value the temperature more than the moisture oftentimes for making turf management decisions. Correct. Yep. So if I go into my schedule and go to backyard turf, we can see that uh, I've got it programmed so that it's got a runtime of 30 minutes and I've got it cycling soaking in 10 minute cycles and 20 minute soaks. I've got two other zones that are linked to it. One of the zones is more shaded, so it's running as a percentage of the primary zone, which is the sun zone. So my sun zones are running 30 minutes and my shaded zones running 80% of that at eight minutes, or excuse me, at 24 minutes. Right. Eight minutes on the cycle. Makes sense. Eight minutes on the cycle. Yep, exactly. So here you can see I've got it set up so it's capable of running any day. Um, and then I've got a moisture start of less than 27.5%. And I've got a wide open water window. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I go into my runtime report and I look at this zone, 
in particular, I can go in and choose the zone and the sensor. And in this case, I'm looking at the sensor and the run times for a two week period. And I'm, be, I'm able to drill in for more resolution as to a week operation or even a daily operation. Um, you can see here that I'm watering essentially every other day graphically, but you can see that the time of day is different when the irrigation is coming on. Okay. Can you go ahead and reset this report to the two week period? I would love to. Two weeks run. Okay. Tell us about oh, the this blip. Yeah, June 17th, we see a similar watering pattern, but there's no runtime. Yeah, and look at the time. Starting right around 10 p.m. And you know, it peaks really at 4 a.m. This was a, a rain event that happened, right? And so it was effective rainfall. You know, it was enough rainfall for the sensor uh, to see that rain event, uh, meaning that there was enough application to saturate into the root zone of the turf and it applied enough water. Um, and then it was subsequently cool enough for the next couple of days that, you know, I didn't irrigate from Monday until Friday. Granted, these days were, you know, much cooler, but these days, Monday and Friday were both, you know, north of 90 degrees. Right. So then a cold front came in, rained, was cool for a couple of days, and then it heated back up. Excellent. And there's no start times. That's beautiful. No start times. So if I were to look at my front bed, by the way, how's your hop scarf? It's delicious. Thank you. This, uh, I'm, I'm having the Founders Centennial IPA, which is fantastic. Ah, brilliant. I like it. So let me, so this is showing my front yard. And you can see here that I've got these different run times, right? Which are interesting. And if I look at uh, Wednesday, the 24th, in particular, you can see what we were talking about before. So you can see here. Oh yeah, so right there we're looking at a 24 hour period with one hour increments on this graph. So the moisture over time for 24 hours every hour. Correct, yep. So 11 p.m. every hour to 11 p.m. again the next day. So here you can see that my water window was open until I guess my window's open till 11 a.m. But sometime in the 10 o'clock hour, my threshold was met. And you can see that by the meaning of the moisture graph and the threshold line. So an irrigation started. And then uh, before that runtime was complete, the window closed. And there was, you know, additional dry down um, through the day. And then when the window opened back up at 7 p.m., it watered the remaining 20 minutes on that program. And then when that 20 minutes had been applied, I was still below my threshold. And so it started over. It's like I still need more water. So it then 
applied another 40 minutes of water in the eight o'clock and nine, nine o'clock hour. And you can see how it substantially increased my moisture content in the soil profile. Excellent. And we know that uh, outdoor watering, there's lots of variables and reasons why you don't want to water. So the water window becomes a very key part of the solution so that we don't have sprinklers coming on when they shouldn't be. Drip, for the most part, we know can run anytime. And potted plants, um, containers, indoor plants, all of those should really, in theory, be watering on demand all the time because there's no reason that drip cannot come on right when the plant needs it. It doesn't need a start time. Green roofs, green walls, same thing. Yep. Right. Excellent. Well, we got pretty technical and there is a lot to talk about here. And I think that part of the barrier to entry for this technology is the comprehension part of it. We are so stuck in this industry thinking about start times, run times, meaning minutes and days of the week that we forget about what we're actually doing. You know, if you asked and I'm just going to say your average irrigation professional, how much water are you applying? They'll say, yeah, my rotors, 30, 45 minutes, sprays, maybe 10 to 15 minutes. How much water is that? Well, it's, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's 30 minutes of water. <laughs> yeah. And until we can get beyond that and start talking about the results of that 30 minute, what it does to the moisture, that's what really matters is the wet dry, not the runtime. What the result is on the aesthetics of the plant material too, or mm-hmm. the desired aesthetics, right? In landscape, we're talking about, you know, quality of grass and agriculture. We're talking about, you know, yield for instance. So, but without data measuring in real time and being able to react to that, know exactly what's going on in your landscape at the root zone. Um, it's hard to make those kinds of programming decisions. Might as well just use the technology and automate it and let it do it itself. Yeah, absolutely. Agree 100%. And Chris, I think that you're going to have to come back. We're going to have to talk more because there is just a, so much to talk about that is you know, very sprinkler nerdy in this way, because as soon as you start talking about how much water you're applying in terms of inches per hour, it opens the door for so many scientific conversations that we can talk about later. So appreciate you joining me on the first ever Facebook live and uh, glad I could get practice on 21 episodes before bringing you in on episode number, no, 22 episodes before bringing you in on episode 23. 23. Yeah, very good. It's a pleasure to be with you always, Andy, and uh, I enjoy the technical discussion. It's fun. Let's get into strength theory. Okay, perfect. We'll see you next time, Chris. Thanks. All right, cheers. Bye. Enjoy. Bye.